outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking with public land whitetail killer Andy May. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You might notice that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. He sent me an email last week saying that he is off at a soap carving convention in Peoria, Illinois, and that he hopes to level up his skills so that his dolphins are as good as his other work. I don't I don't really know what he means by that, but I hope he achieves that goal. And while he's working on it, you've got me and Andy May. Andy is one of the most successful, well-known public land bow hunters out there. He's easily one of the most successful hunters alive today. From his home state of Michigan to a pile of other states, Andy just gets it done on great animals. And he partially credits this to his love of woodsmanship, his constant quest for knowledge, and his discipline. In this episode, which is kind of like a part two to last week's show with KC Smith, we talk about why Andy chooses to hunt where he does. And instead of focusing on trophy caliber, he focuses on hunting opportunities that will make him better. We also go off on a bunch of tangents to talk about social media influencers, deer managers, and a bunch of other stuff. I think you're really going to enjoy this one because I know every time I talk to Andy, I get my faith in hunting or the hunting industry renewed just a little bit, and I always learn something. Andy May, it's a pleasure to see you again, buddy. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm good, man. You got sick of me bothering you and you finally <laughs> decided to sit down and, and do a podcast. And we've got a, this is kind of a, a part two, you know, I had Casey Smith on just recently talking about kind of DIY hunt planning and traveling to, to find big bucks on public land and go have a good experience. We covered a lot of stuff there, but you and I are going to take a different route, different route on this. Cause we, uh, I think we kind of view hunting similarly and and we're going to get into a lot of stuff there, but we were just talking off air about like your workout schedule and how important that is to your whitetail hunting. And we don't, we, you know, we hear that out West all the time, but we don't hear the benefits for the whitetail hunter very much. So just 
give give me a breakdown of like your year, just kind of like, when are you working out the hardest? When are you kind of slacking off and, and what are you doing it, you know, to keep yourself healthy and happy, but also how does that tie into your whitetail hunting? Yeah. I mean, I, I take, uh, workout and, and fitness very seriously. It's something I I'm very passionate about. I love it. Um, I would say, you know, 80% of the year, um, it's, it's a major priority. Um, I probably, I would say on average, you know, I, I go to the gym five days a week. That pr- that'd probably be the average someday. Sometimes I go every day or maybe six days and, and some days maybe three or four, but I'd say on average, um, five days a week. And I, um, I incorporate like weightlifting and cardio and, um, the reason I like to do that, um, what, aside from just being healthy, I want, I want longevity, you know, I want, I want to be able to grow old and, and see my daughter do cool things. And I want to keep hunting as, as long as possible. Um, but it just makes me feel good. Um, it's, I think it's a big advantage, um, when it comes to hunting, not just the physical part. Um, you know, I, we all know some hunters that aren't in the best shape that do well and they're hardcore and, and they got, they got this going, you know, the mental toughness. And, uh, so I'm cert- I'm certainly not trying to say that this is a necessity, but for me personally, you know, when I feel strong and I feel healthy and my, my joints feel good and I'm, I got good cardio, I feel like I'm up for anything. Um, truth be told, I, I, I do ramp up the intensity and, uh, of my workouts and the frequency leading up to, um, hunting season mainly focused on the Western hunts because I know that I'm going to be putting a lot of miles on at elevation, a lot of up and down. It's going to be hard on my knees, hard on my back. And I try to like train myself to just be, I guess the best I can be going into that. It certainly helps with my whitetail. Um, I have a bad back. I have bad knees. Um, and the more the active I am kind of throughout the year, I do stretches, I do weights, I do cardio. I keep everything. I try to keep everything, you know, running like a smooth oiled machine. And, you know, you, you get into whitetail season and it's like, you're sitting in a tree stand and, you know, there's a lot of times where you're not mobile. Um, and it, it really helps with like my back health and my knee health. Um, just continuing to kind of do that stuff. Um, so one thing that we talked about off air though, that I think is a huge benefit is the, what it does for you mentally. Um, I think for me personally, like I've, I've incorporated into my life so much, but I enjoy going, but there's just some days just like you, just like anybody, you don't want to go. You don't feel like going, you're tired, you're worn down, you're sore. And I always try to force myself to go anyway. And, um, I've, I've, I wasn't always like that, but I started to do that years and years ago. And what I've found for me personally, is like, it's kind of changed my mindset. Um, into like this disciplined mindset where, you know, I feel like it it builds this mental toughness and it translates into my hunting sometimes too, I think, because we've always been on, we've all been on a bad hunt, you know, where nothing seems to be going our way or, or a season that's just, you know, you can't seem to do anything right. I feel like, I don't know, just having that mental toughness just to keep going after it and keep putting in that time and that work. And eventually, you know, things work out. 
Um, and just like too, you know, like, let's like, let's say you're on a, a big piece of public land it's in the hill country. And, you know, you might, a person that maybe doesn't have that mindset might not want to go two miles back over three ridges and they might be like, ah, you know, it's kind of far, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm run down. Well, I don't know. It's just like, I've trained myself. Like when I'm faced with like that decision or the easy one, just hunt, you know, right off the road here, a half mile. It's like, if I'm 50, 50 on them and I don't have a feel a stronger feeling one way or the other, it's like, I forced myself to pick that harder decision. And it's just like, I've, I found that I'm starting to do that more and more throughout life. And I don't know, it just feels good, man. It feels like you're, you're willing to go the extra mile. And, uh, and when you don't feel like going, you do it anyway. So yeah. I've, I've been trying to kind of teach that, that discipline thing to my daughter in her sports and, uh, you know, she's getting it, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it, the way it benefits me is, uh, you know, multifaceted, you know, not just in normal life, but, but hunting as well. Oh, dude, when I, when I quit drinking, I started working out. I, I mean, I hated every second of it, but it was, it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And the thing that I didn't realize was, you know, I, I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to be elk hunting. So I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get into shape, but it, when it became a part of my life, I was just like, I felt like somebody had given me a secret to whitetail hunting that I just could not have known before. Like just like how you talk about kind of the discipline and just feeling good doing stuff. I got to a point where there was no settling, like where, you, you know, you think about it, you get kind of run down or you're like, oh, this stand's good enough or this spot's good enough. When, when you don't feel the best, it's like really easy to, to default to that settle mode. And man, when you're, when you're, you know, used to running a thousand miles a year or, you know, hitting the gym five days a week or whatever you do, it's like, you just, you kind of get into that mode where you're like, I'm, I'm okay suffering. <laughs> like I'm okay being hungry, thirsty, tired, sore, whatever. And I know the benefit on the other side of this struggle is going to make me feel good. And it's probably, I know people don't like hearing about the fitness thing in the whitetail world, but when you, when you like when you talk about going out to some public land chunk somewhere and hiking three miles in, like if you're gonna take that route for your hunting and challenge yourself that way, being used to being uncomfortable and being physically capable of going there and doing that, it just it change it opens up a world to you. It's so to me, like, you know, people are always like, Hey, what can I buy? You know, can I buy a call? Can I buy a decoy? Can I buy a camera? And I'm like, buy some freaking Brooks running shoes, man, <laughs> and get a gym membership. Cause it is going to change your life in a way that no hunting product uh, product probably will. It's really, uh, it's, it's a real eye opener when you go through it. Absolutely. I mean, that would, that would be, you know, if, if someone wasn't doing that already, that would be really high at the top of the list of something I would recommend, not just, you know, for obvious healthy lifestyle changes, but it does, it does translate into your hunting and your decision-making and you, you almost want, you know, I find myself wanting those, those tough hunts. Like when I went to Nevada, you know, we were, you know, in the Ruby mountains and we, we did 80 miles and I don't know, nine days or something like that. And, uh, man, I loved every minute of it and it was hard and I was suffering and it was like, yeah, like this is what I trained for. This is what I want. I want to know that I can do, you know, anything that the mountains ask of me. And, you know, when, when you can get to that, I guess when you can get to that level and there's certainly guys that are way higher level than me, but when you get to that mindset, 
the whitetail stuff seems relatively easy, you know, and I know, I know not everybody's there with, uh, with their fitness. So it, it is, it's a, it's an awesome change. You know, if you can do that, um, I, I full disclosure, um, you know, once the hunting season comes, my workouts really do suffer. Um, I would like to say that I, I keep it going five days a week all through hunting season, but it, it doesn't happen. Um, there's like a slow transition of where I start hunting. I'm sorry. I'll start working out less once the hunting season starts, but what I'll do is I'll incorporate still my full body stuff, but into a, a less amount of days. So instead of five days a week, maybe I'm going two or three, but I'm still doing a lot of the same exercises. And then you get into the meat of that hunting season where it's just like, it's prime time, you know what I mean? And you're trying to spend as much time as you can in the woods. And my, I mean, my workouts pretty much go non-existent for a month, a month and a half. And, you know, I lose, I lose 10, 15 pounds every year of, of muscle mass and I gain fat and I'm just, I'm on the road and I'm eating bad. I'm eating gas station Casey's crap. And, you know, you, you come out of the hunting season and it's like, oh my gosh, like, what have I done to myself? But, um, you know, and, th- and then, and uh, then my cycle is, I just kind of gradually start getting back into the gym and that's where I'm at right now. And I'm shoot, I've already put on eight pounds and feeling good. And it's just like, it's like this cycle that I do. Um, I got to do a better job of keeping it going throughout the hunting season. But as you know, like we've talked, my hunting time is super limited. I mean, I've, I've had 11 sits for whitetail this year. Um, 11. I mean, that's, that's pretty sad. Now I did go out West. I, I didn't count those, but for whitetail 11 sits, um, I've scouted a ton, um, that have kind of led to some high quality sits out of those 11, but you know, it's it, once hunting season starts and I'm trying to put in time and trying to figure out some deer and trying to really hone in where I want to spend some time. It's like, something's got to give. And for me, you know, the gym time does, does sacrifice, you know, it does take a, take a hit there, unfortunately. Yep. So I got to do a better job of balancing that. Well, there, there's only so much time in the day, <laughs> you know, Yeah, exactly. I mean, there just is. And I, 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 that's interesting that you say that about your time in the field this year. Cause I, in total whitetail hunting either all day or a morning or evening sit this year, I only, I only got out there 12 days mm-hmm. and, you know, seven of those were filming. And so, you know, people are always like, oh man, you're, you're, you had an incredible season. I'm like, I did not have that. I I had a productive season as far if, Mm -hmm. you know, like if, if body count matters, it was good. But as far as just getting lots of time out there, uh, you know, it just, it doesn't happen that much or it doesn't happen the way it probably appears that it does. And so I'm kind of like you, man, like when, when I do get out there, like I want, I want to be into it every second that I have, cause I know it's not going to be very much time. And I just, I feel so much better when I feel like I go into it in really good shape. Um, I wanted to ask you, are you, are you a goal setter? Like with your workouts, with your hunting, do you, do you start the year and go, you know what? I want to get my deadlifts up to this and I want to get my cardio up to this or, you know, it's one seventies or bust, or you just kind of go with the flow. No, um, uh, I wouldn't say I'm a goal setter, uh, nothing specific. I want to be, I want to be in, I want my, sh- I want to peak my fitness level right before hunting season. That seems that I've, I've kind of been in that routine for probably the last 10, 12 years where I, I kind of build and, you know, I try to peak cardio peak fitness level right leading into the hunting season. Um, so I, mean, I guess that's, I guess that's a goal. Um, I don't like have like weight goals or anything like that. I, I, I work out a lot different than I used to. Um, 
uh, a lot different, a lot less weight, more cardio. I'm, I'm thinking more about my heart and lungs and, uh, flexibility and, and tendon strength and, and functional movements, you know, functional movements that keep me flexible, mobile, um, uh, stretches that keep me from getting tight that eliminate back pain, you know, things like that. Um, as far as hunting, um, I don't set specific goals. My, my, I, I, my goal, one of my main goals has always been to, you know, always keep improving as a hunter. I always want to keep getting better. I've, I've said that on a million podcasts. That is my goal. I, I don't really care about inches. Don't get me wrong. I want to chase the biggest buck that I have available. I mean, I did this year. Um, but it's, I, I, I just want to keep improving. I want to keep experiencing new places, new challenges. Um, I want to keep sharpening my skill. Um, so it's like, it's, it's constant work with the bow. It's constant scouting, you know, going back to the limited time in the woods, I could have hunted more. Um, you know, I could have not went out West and had more time in the white tail woods. I could have scouted less and had more tree time. I scouted, I was scouting three, four times a week, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe hunting one or two. Um, so I, I was putting in time that led to my success so that I had higher quality sits when I did have time. So I just want to clarify that, but yeah, it, you know, I, I don't set, I don't set goals of inches. You know, I've never been blessed ever to hunt in an area that has high scoring deer. I never have, I've never sought out those areas. Um, I've never prioritized that nearly as much as just experiencing new places and, and trying to put myself into situations that I'm not that good at. Um, I talked before, uh, you know, you've had him on your podcast, Jesse Coots. Um, Jesse is a phenomenal early season hunter. And when I met Jesse, I had only killed like three or four early season bucks and he had killed his target buck on the opening day of New York's bow season, like four years in a row. And I was like, what, how does he do that? You know what I mean? Like I, I needed to learn from this guy. So I befriended him and and now we're, we're, we're good friends. We talk often and I just picked his brain and I learned and, and I was just, you know, I, I had that that kind of feeling that something was missing in my skill set that, that Jesse had. And I sought that out and I kind of incorporated some of the things that he taught me. And I put a lot more effort into being successful in the early season. Um, and next thing you know, I'm starting to starting to kill great bucks early season. And, and, and now it's a strength of mine. Um, I feel the same way about, you know, late season. That's just a time that I struggle with, you know, I, I, never had really good late season spots. So I'm, I'm trying to put myself into that situation a little more and different types of country and different types of habitat and terrain, you know, that I'm not, that I don't get to tackle too often. Like I want that. I hear about guys, you know, hunting big woods, you know, big woods setting and they're, they're killing big bucks and you hear them talk. You're like, wow, you know, I don't have that. I don't have that yet. And I want it. Um, I don't like, I, I, I'm thankful for those guys. And I, I'm, I look up to those guys and I admire those guys. And when I see somebody that has a skill that I don't possess, or at least I don't feel like mine is is, as strong as it could be, that eats at me. 
um, that eats at me way more than not shooting 170 inch buck. Um, yep. just the way, just the way I'm wired. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, my goal is just to keep getting better, keep trying new things, new species, new areas, uh, different ways, different yeah. tactics. And, uh, that just keeps my fire burning. It keeps me excited about hunting, um, and just motivated. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. So you you specifically plan out your fall in a way that you know is going to challenge yourself, like your 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 travel. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to say that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't go back to places that I've learned. Well, um, I do. Um, it's usually, you know, I usually build on it. You know, it's not like I go back to the same tree and just kill a a good buck out of it every year. I mean, that, that never happens. It usually leads me to a different piece of property or, you know, a different area of this piece of ground or, or whatever. But yeah, I've, you know, I've, for a lot of years there, um, I was really focusing on that early season of whitetail stuff. You know, so I was going to states that opened up early before Michigan. And then I started, started killing some great deer there, uh, pretty consistently. And then it's not that I felt like I had it figured out, but it was like, okay, that satisfied that a little bit. I, I feel like I got some skill there now. I feel confident that I could go places and do that, you know? And then I started focusing on some different terrain or late season. And, you know, the last few, you know, last five, six, 
years I've been, I've been traveling, um, places like kind of that late November, December timeframe. And I've started to kill some really good bucks out of state. And, you know, it was something that I wasn't good at. I didn't have confidence in. So yeah, I'm always trying to throw that kind of stuff in there and kind of mix it in with things that I like. Like I'm really digging the spot and stalk on the ground, muleys, whitetail, whatever it be, antelope. So I always try to throw some of that in there. I really love the Western stuff that just beats me to a pulp. Like I, I want to come, I want to come out of a hunt and I want to feel like I was run over by a truck. And I like that because I didn't have confidence in that. I didn't, I didn't know that I could go live nine days in the back country, you know, up in the, the Ruby mountains. And I challenged myself to do that. And I, I didn't come home with a buck. I came this close to a world-class mule deer, a full draw. Um, but didn't come back with a buck, but man, it, it felt good. It felt like I learned something. It felt like I, di- I did something, you know, I felt like I got better at something. So yeah, I'm, I'm always kind of throwing that, those kind of hunts in and, and always the wheels are always turning. Like, what can I do? That's new. What can I do that? You know, what's my weakness? What do I need to improve at? You know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of guys too regularly, you know, a few guys that I'm sure will come up in conversation, but like, I feel like our true woodsmen, you know, true woodsmen. And when I talk to them, you know, I'm learning stuff, you know what I mean? I'm constantly learning stuff. And I, I, I love that. I love those guys that are still doing it the old way and, 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 you know, they're sharpening, they're sharpening the Indian and not relying on technology and all this other stuff. I heard that quote the other day, sharpen the Indian. And, uh, I just love that. I love that quote. So yeah, man. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I, I try to throw a mix of, of different things in, but that's, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, this is, uh, you said that this is how you're wired and I, I don't doubt this for a second, but I bet it's also to some extent, you know, when we were chatting off air here just a little bit ago, you, you kind of come to realize there's two ways to look at this stuff. And the hunting industry does a really good job of selling us on one style of whitetail hunting, which is take away the whitetail's defenses somehow. Create a spot he's going to want to go to, to eat, to drink, uh, where the does are going to be. Leave him alone till he's old enough to kill him. You know, sit in a box blind or, or sit in some way where you kind of, you negate his senses further. You know, use use all the technology to your advantage and just kind of overwhelm those suckers. And then there's the other path where you don't have that option. Either you, Either it's just not feasible or you choose not to have it. And you go, I'm going to go hunt where these deer, they, you know, they're not babysat. They're not conditioned to go into a certain spot and feel safe. They're living out there in a place they get hunted all the time. And the only way to really enjoy that and to get to to have success is for you to get better, not for you to dumb the deer down because that's not going to happen. And so there's these two kind of paths and they, they get, you know, we conflate this all the time. And I, I don't want people to think that I'm shitting on that style of, you know, planting food plots and stuff like that. Go nuts for donuts. I don't care what people do, but what you're talking about is you're intentionally choosing to go a route where your only option is level up or you're going to, your time's going to suck because you, you don't have the option to change the deer or force them to kind of alter their behavior, convince them that they're safe. You just got to go, I got to get better. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, I mean, these, these, some of these out of state trips, when you figure in gas and tag prices and, you know, scouting trips and, and all this stuff, um, you know, it, it adds up 
with money. I mean, honestly, I probably could. It doesn't seem like I could, but honestly, I could probably cut back and, you know, buy a cool farm in Illinois or something and, and manage it and shoot bigger deer than what I'm doing now. Uh, or, or get a couple leases, you know, in Ohio, you know, in Ohio and in Iowa and Kansas and just put all my money into that and shoot higher scoring deer. I could, I could probably do that. Um, but I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't, what I'm doing now, um, fits my mindset and my goals better. Um, we talked about this a little bit and, and I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not trying to crap on these guys either, but like I, I hear sometimes I listen to the podcast. Like I, I can admire any hunter that is at the top of their niche. You know what I mean? Like of their category. And, and some of these guys, I consider them more deer managers than actual deer hunters. And I don't mean that as a negative way. They are the best of the best. But like I listen to their podcasts and, you know, trying to pick up a nugget of information that I could use. And I hear things, you know, I heard, I heard one of the guy, you know, one guy was saying he had 32 bucks over 150 inches. And I'm just like, holy crap, you know, and, and this is a guy we consider a whitetail expert, you know, a whitetail deer hunter expert. And I don't know if that's, in my opinion, I don't know if that's the right label, you know, an expert deer manager, an expert deer grower, a hundred percent. Like if that's your goal, that's the guy to listen to. Um, you know, one of the other guys says that he's, he's out there so much and he, he puts himself out there checking cameras and filling feeders and so much. He said the, the deer just get used to me. And I'm just like, well, you, why is that? Why is that the goal? Why is the goal to make deer get used to you? Like, is that, isn't that taking away the difficulty of hunting? You know, the, the thing that we love so much, the challenge of it. And then, you know, another guy was talking about, a, um, one of his redneck blinds, I think. And he said, when he's in it, the deer can't smell me. You know, they cannot smell me. I'm bulletproof. And I'm just like, I was talking to Kenyon about it. I was like, why is that the goal? You know, why is that the goal to take away their number one defense so that you can shoot them? So I don't know that when I was hearing these things, it just started my wheels turning. Um, I think it's very important. I think it's crucial that we keep, um, the woodsmanship part of hunting alive. And there's a clear, uh, trend and path towards taking that away through technology, through deer farming, through deer managing, through locking up as much ground as you can and keeping everybody else out so that you have the easiest hunting possible. But there's still, there's still some guys out there that, that feel very strongly that that's not the way that's not the way it should be. That's not the way to keep the resource around long-term. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's a conversation that needs to be talked about. And I feel, uh, that I don't know. I, I feel compelled to talk about this and hopefully inspire some people to, to keep that alive. There's, there's some guys, and those are the guys I talk to on a daily basis. Like I have some some friends, some close friends that I don't talk to on a daily basis about deer because we don't align hundred percent on that. And some of the guys I talk to, I mean, we talked about, we talk about reading sign and we talk about all this, these different types of terrain and they're trying to learn from me, you know, from areas that I've been in that they haven't been in. And I'm trying to learn from them and the big woods or the hill country and, and these little intricacies that I don't have the experience yet to pull from. 
and I just, we just, we find it fascinating to talk to each other and we literally talk every day, you know, while we're driving or whatever. And, uh, you know, those are the guys I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to the guys like you and Eddie Claypool and my friend, Justin Wright, who is just an awesome woodsman. Um, I'm drawn to guy listening to guys like, you know, Bobby Worthington. Um, I'm drawn to guys like, uh, you know, Nathan, Nathan Killen is one that comes to mind. Um, I came across his podcast and he's a, he's a, a big woods guy and just, oh, you can tell he's just a woodsman. Um, Travis Murray, I listened to one of his podcasts. He's from the South. Like when you talk about, when you hear about these guys, you're not hearing food plots. You're not hearing about managing the deer or getting them to five years of age. You're not, you're not hearing that stuff. You're hearing about the, the woodsmanship, the skill and the craft of hunting and improving that to achieve success you know zach zach farinball you know he's another one uh bo martonic you know what i mean bo bo's a young dude but you listen to him talk look at his videos i mean the guy is talking about breaking down mountain bucks and he's talking about you know all these different um native food sources that are there that i have no experience with and i just i just watch that and i'm just like i eat it up man like that's a guy like that's one of those guys that's going to keep it alive um, yeah. so I don't know. I, I think it's important. Uh, I know you feel strongly. I, I know you feel the same way. Uh, I do. And I, I think what I, what I love about, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? Like people are super pissed off about social media influencers in the hunting space and, you know, the YouTube, the YouTube kind of hunters and stuff like that. And, and I get, I get the complaints, but I also love the fact that, you know, if you take, if you take like the deer manager route where you're, you're going to take a property and try to really cultivate some big bucks and turn it into a Mecca, that's sort of ubiquitous across the whitetail space, right? Like you could do that in Louisiana. You could do that in Michigan. You could do it in New York. And, you know, it might be a little bit different in each state, but the blueprint is kind of the same. The path is kind of the same. It's like, okay, we know how to hack the whitetails that way. And we know how to pull that off. And that can be like a great option if that's what you want to do. But what I love about like, the current space we have, when you mentioned Bo and Zach and some of these guys, they're showing people the other ways to do this stuff. I love that. Like I, I, I'm the same way, man. I, I think, I think those, those people are so inspirational and they show you what can't be done. Like everybody says, Oh, it's impossible to come to my state and kill a buck. It's impossible to kill a, you know, a big one on public land in Michigan. It's impossible mm-hmm. to do this. And I'm like, I don't know, man, if it's impossible, I don't know what these guys are doing. Cause they're doing it. They're showing mm-hmm. it. And I, I talk to, I talk about you on every freaking podcast I do. I'm like, these people are out here proving that this stuff can be done. And it's, I think that's like so inspirational when you're sitting there and you've got that kind of localized bias going, or you're like, Hey, I want to travel out of state and I want to hunt here, but man, I don't know. I don't want to go hunt. I heard there's only 2% of public land in Nebraska or, or it's way over hunted in Missouri. I don't know if I want to do it. And then you see people show up in four five, six days, kill a great buck and leave. And you're like, okay, well <laughs> that dude did it. Like it's, it's totally possible. I love that aspect of what's going on today. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Um, those guys are crucial. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know what you're referring to with the, uh, you know, kind of the buzz with, um, the attack on like, you know, social media hunters and YouTube hunters and stuff. And I, I have some opinions about that too. There's certainly some negatives. Um, you know, and some people that appear to be doing it for, in my opinion, the wrong reasons, 
but there's also people out there, like you mentioned, Zach, Bo, uh, some of these other guys that are putting out content on YouTube and, um, uh, it's doing what we're, it's doing what exactly what we're talking about is, is keeping that, keeping that woodsmanship alive, keeping that mentality of, um, I want to get better and I want to learn. Like, like you, you can listen to Zach talk all day, man. He's just like, man. You know, he's just like, I just want to be able to do that. Or I want to figure that out. Or, you know, he's like, you know, I'm not good at that. Or I want to do this. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's the mentality right there, man. He just, that feeling of you can go anywhere, you know, you can go anywhere that has whitetail and be effective. And, and that's, that is what I strive to have. And I certainly have that feeling that I can go and be effective in a lot of areas, but I don't have that feeling everywhere. Um, you know, there are, there are some guys, um, you know, there's some guys that I hear of that, that talk, you know, they're, they're from different areas in the South or the far East or whatever. And it's just like, I don't have any experience there. I don't, I don't think I can go there and kill a buck in four days. Like I can in some of these other States that I've have some experience and some confidence in. I mean, maybe it might happen. You know, you, you, you have a certain, you, you develop a certain level of hunting instinct and decision-making and, um, you know, the ability to, to perform, you know, under pressure when that, you know, the heat of the moment happens. But, um, you know, I got a lot to learn. I got a lot to learn. Um, and I'm eager to learn, um, those, I, I listen to a lot of like Southern stuff. Um, ironically, like I've, I don't even have any plans yet to go hunt in the South. I've hunted the South as Tennessee. So I guess it's down there a little ways, but like, you know, some of those guys, man, they got it tough and they get it done. And, and I hear them talking. I'm like, wow, you know, that's, yep. that's some next level stuff for that type of terrain. Now they might come up here in the open country of flatland Ohio and just be lost, you know, but like, you know, that's where I feel real comfortable or, yep. or the broken up land of river bottoms and some, some rolling Hills. Like I, you know, that's kind of my bread and butter, bread and butter. You know, I feel, I feel comfortable there. Um, so I don't know, it's just that mindset of, of growing and, and learning. And I feel like, I feel like if you get to that point where you're, you close that off and you become this expert, I hate it. You know, I hate it when people call me an expert, I hate it. <laughs> um, I just hate it. And I hate it when people call themselves an expert too. Um, but it's, it's just like, you're, it's like you're closing your mind off. It's like, okay, I'm the expert. Like I got all the answers. I know what I can do. I can answer this question about this and this and this, you know, I, I don't know that you can ever achieve that really. There's, there's too many types of situations, too varying uh, degrees of pressure, too much different type of terrain and, and, uh, you know, weather and, um, uh, you know, temperature differences in diff different parts of the country that you know, I don't know if you could master it all. Um, but I don't know. That's, that's what motivates me is just constantly learning. You know, if I'm learning, then I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling fulfilled with hunting. And if I'm not, if I'm just, you know, I get in a groove and yeah, I'll probably kill a, you know, three or four year old buck off this piece of property this year. You know, I got three or four of them, you know, I'm going to get one of them. I don't know, man. I just, that takes away a lot of the excitement from me, you know, personally. And I know some guys just love that not taking it away, but I do feel like, I do feel like I personally do this right or wrong. I put hunters in categories and I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I relate to one much more than the other. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever relate well to like 
the deer manager and, you know, growing big bucks and, and naming the big bucks. And, you know, it's like, it's like every year those guys shoot the buck they're after every single year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, I don't want that. I want to yeah. fail, man. I want to have, I want to be able to shoot. I want to have to shoot my number two sometimes, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just different strokes, man. And yeah. you know, one of the things that you said earlier that I think, you know, I, I think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, people go out there for different reasons. Like a lot of people, they don't want to challenge themselves hunting. They want to go have fun and they don't want to work that hard. And that's, that's cool. Like do, yeah. do whatever. But what you mentioned about big woods and now talking about down South, which is kind of just like big woods 2.0. I mean, when you're, when you're really talking about like difficulty level and people who kind of just by default of their situation have to become woodsmen, like have to develop real woodsmanship, big woods, man, when you take out like a lot of destination food sources and, and broken tracks of timber where there's, you know, a high likelihood the deer live there. Cause that's the only cover you get into a different world. And, you know, some people have no desire to go experience that. And some people, they look at that and go, I have never killed a big buck there. And I got to figure that out. And I've, I, you know, I have two things. I've talked about this a million times. You know, I'm obsessed with Northern Wisconsin because it kicks my ass so much. It set me when I started hunting over there, I was doing pretty well in other places. <laughs> like I, I felt really good about certain places I was hunting. And there I felt like I was starting at 12 years old again, where I'm like, man, I'd be so happy if a forky walked down the trail right now. Cause I'm getting freaking smoked here. And eventually, you know, you kill some deer and you move up and move up. And I'm at the stage where I can find the big ones and I can see the big ones, but I have yet to freaking shoot one. And it drives me nuts, but I love it. Like it keeps me coming back because I know when I go over there, like there's, it's, it's almost a guarantee. I'm going to fail in regards to filling a tag. Like it's just almost guarantee. And there, there's another environment that I, I'm, I keep looking at, you know, I, you know, that I love pheasant hunting and I love training dogs and, I'm obsessed with late season roosters. Like it's one of my favorite things to do. So I spend a pile of time in the cattails in December and January in different States. And I keep jumping great big bucks out of the cattails. And I, I keep talking about this and I'm like, I, I got to go figure that out. And it's going to be like a, for me, it's going to be like a poor man's version of going to Kansas or something. Cause it's going to be more of a kind of a spot and stocky glassy type of, you know, you you know, there's not very many trees in any one of these places that you're at, but that's why they're in the cattails partially, but that environment it's, it's got the deer. It's just going to be insanely challenging as far as setups and approach and play in the wind. But I just, I love that there's like options like that out there for public land hunters. Like anybody could go into these places where we're shooting roosters and be around, you know, 125, 130 inch bucks, like be on the same property as them. And I just, I think that that's like, incredible like i think it's incredible that we have that option out there in so many places mm -hmm. you know uh your your story about wisconsin that, that just says a lot about you i mean it says that you know you and i are aligned a lot you know i'm sure you go to your old favorites sometimes and you know where you've had some success before because you always want to build on that you know you can always learn more about an area and get better and that's that's part of you know improving as a hunter as well um, but the fact that you keep going back and just getting your, <laughs> your ass kicked, uh, you know, that just shows right there, man. It's like, you're, you're addicted to the challenge. You're addicted to learning. It's like, you're not going to quit until you, 
do what you, you're setting out to do, which is kill a good buck in northern Wisconsin. So, yeah, man, I mean, that's what we need. That we need, we need more of that. We need more of that, that mindset, I think. Um, you know, I see like, it, it seems like this past two or three years, um, there's been such this huge shift in technology. I mean, technology has always been improving, right? Um, but like, man, the last two or three years, you know, we got, we got a crossbow that just came out that shoots 520 feet per second. It shoots, it shoots three inch groups at 130 yards. So now that gun is outperforming the old smooth bore shotguns. It's performing by quite a bit. Oh yeah. Performing equal to a rifled barrel slug. Um, you know, and, and guys are buying them up like crazy. You know what I mean? And, um, I just do not like the way that's going. It's, you know, I feel like, again, what we talked about earlier is just guys are looking for easier ways to achieve success. You know, the cell camera thing, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on the fence about that. Um, I don't know that they should be legal. I'm not, I'm not willing to say that outright yet, but like, how many guys do you know that run a dozen of them, 20 of them? And, and all they do is just take that real time information and based all their decisions on that. I mean, there's, there's some really good hunters that are, you know, uh, famous hunters that are, um, that's what they're doing. And they, the, the bucks that they killed this year are a direct result of, of real time photo. They decided to go to that spot on that day. And then they killed that buck. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I mean, where, where do we draw the line of fair chase? That's, I'm not trying to tell anybody what that line is, but it's, you should be thinking about that. You should be thinking about that and draw your own line. You know, eventually it feels like, because we're, we're already seeing it. We're already, we're seeing it out West because guys are killing way more efficiently now with trail cameras, way more efficiently with cell cameras, way more efficiently with, you know, range finding sites and rifles that shoot over a thousand yards. And it's decreasing the resource to the point that it's decreasing opportunity for the everyday hunter. Okay. It's already happening out there. It's happening here too. We're doing the same thing here. We're not seeing it quite as fast out there because there's a ton of whitetail, but eventually we're going to, we're going to become so efficient at, you know, essentially we're, what are we doing? We're, we're conducting surveillance and then assassinating. You know what I mean? We're not hunting anything down. We're conducting surveillance from our home, from our couch with our phone. And then we're going in when we know they're there and we're shooting them. And, and, and I don't know, man, it's just, it feels yucky. It feels dirty. It certainly isn't the way I think things should be going. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to crap on people that are doing that, but at the same time, it's like, I, this is why I, this conversation needs to happen. And we need to keep that mentality of being a woodsman. And, and, and keeping things somewhat traditional, um, alive, you know, and I, and I'm a hypocrite, man. I'm, I'm using a, a compound bow. Um, I'm using a range finder. I'm using trail cameras, you know, I'm, I'm getting information too. I might not be getting real time information, but I'm getting information and I'm focusing where I get those big buck pictures. So, Hey, I'm guilty, you know, I'm guilty, but I'm thinking about it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's important. Well, I, I do too. And I, you know, I'm, I get, I'm torn on this stuff 
because I don't like being told what to do, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I look at, you know, the cell, cell cameras and, and some of the things that are going on. And I go, how does this look to the non-hunting public? Cause I'm concerned about that. Like, I, you know, it's the same, the same issue with baiting, right? Like people get super fired up about baiting and I look at that and I go, okay, how does this look to the non-hunters? Cause they're going to decide our fate. That's where I get nervous. You know, like personally, if somebody wants to use a cell camera, I really don't care. Like I own some, I, I don't think they help me out a, mu- a bunch. I don't use them for most of my hunts, but I'm kind of like, whatever we, you know, I, I think we'll go retro on some of that stuff and eventually it'll get. I I don't think some cell cameras are going to be allowed in in season in a lot of states. I think that's coming eventually. I but, hope so. You know, we're not there yet. But I just I look at this and I go, man. You know, we sit in a you know like a manufactured box over you know food we planted for the deer with cell cameras, and it you know it's like I, I get a little a little wiggy about it because I know if I had to explain that to a non-hunter who was just sort of ambivalent, right? Like, I don't care if you hunt, I don't, you know, as long as you eat them, I don't give a shit. But then all of a sudden you're like, well, this is how I do it. <laughs> like, here's all the advantages I'm giving myself. Now I worry about where that takes us, you know? And it, people, we we talk about this a lot, right? Like with, with social media and, uh, you know, showing some of the things we probably shouldn't be showing spine shots or, you know, celebrating gut shots or whatever, you know, like there's, you name it, there's things out there. And I don't, I don't know if there's an option for us to police ourselves on this stuff. I wish, I wish it felt feasible because I think we should, but I think somebody else is going to end up policing us (laughs) on some of this stuff. And it's, it's probably not going to work out very well for us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a lot out there that, uh, a lot out there on, you know, for the world to see that it certainly doesn't look great, you know, to, to the people that are on the outside looking in that, that are non hunters. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I've heard conversations about it, uh, you know, recently, especially with the, you know, the recent, I, I'm sure you're aware that, you know, the article that came out, it creates, uh, created that big stir about social media and, you know, there's conversations, um, being made. And, and I think podcasts like this conversations are just making people more aware. So hopefully we start doing a better job of that. Um, you know, we always need to think of that. We always need to think about how, you know, how things are portrayed to, you know, people outside of hunting. And, and I think a lot of, social media is you're worrying about how it's portrayed to people in hunting, you know, and, and not always portraying things in the way they actually happened and, you know, how the animal is taken and where it was taken and so on and so forth. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm not a prolific poster, so, you know, I don't, I, but when I do post things, I, I try to share my story. I try to always talk about the hunt a little bit so that, you know, those guys out there that are maybe looking to me, you know, looking at me to, to, to learn a little bit from, I always try to post a little bit about that out there and, uh, you know, try to keep it, you know, respectful and, and not, a, not about me. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want it to be about me. You know, I want it to be about the hunt, about the decision-making it took, um, you know, the shot that I made, 
you know, that was difficult, uh, the animal, what he did, what he did that was unique to, you know, compared to some of the other animals I've hunted. Like I, I try to talk about some of that stuff, you know, in my posts. So I don't know. I, I try to be mindful of it. Um, I'm sure we all can do better. Um, but it's good. It's good. We're talking about it. Well, yeah. And you know, the social media thing, it's like people act surprised that it's mostly bullshit. And there's a lot of people out there trying to be famous and get attention. Like, I mean, we, this is, this is just the new way of, and like, I don't want this to sound worse than it is, but when I, I see these arguments, I'm like, yeah, we've had TV hunters since we've had outdoor, like, this is just the new wave. It's the new medium. We had it. I'm sure, you know, pre sportsman channel and outdoor channel, when magazines were burning really, really hot. I mean, I heard stories about it. Like when I got into the industry that editors and writers were like the superstars of the hunting industry. And I'm sure some of them were self-serving assholes <laughs> who did not portray us very well. And then we got TV and there was an, there was an opportunity to buy your way into, you know, buy your airtime. You can put your show on there. We still do that. Like, this stuff's always existed. And I, I am glad that these conversations are, are happening. Like I'm glad the general hunting population is more aware of this and they're questioning, like, what are the motives? Like, who should we be supporting? I love that stuff because I think, I think we do kind of got to cleanse ourselves a little bit. Like I, th I think like people on my side have to be kept in check and like, we have to be aware, like what's the audience think. And at the same time, I think the audience needs to understand <laughs> like what's going into some of this stuff. You know, like you always hear, the, and I swore I wouldn't get into this because I don't want to get fired, but let's do it anyway. Um, you always hear the complaint of like, this influencer did this, or he's such a whore, or she is just pushing these products. And I sit here and I go, "This, you're absolutely right. A hundred percent. They're culpable. But you have no idea the deliverables that are in those contracts and coming from these manufacturers and these me media companies in between these PR companies, this stuff's muddy. There's a lot of people with their hands in the cookie jar. There's one target. That's your, yep. you know, quote unquote influencer. That's your target, but you don't know who's behind the scenes making this stuff happen. And I promise you, if you buy a bow or you buy a camera or you buy a release or you buy a grunt tube or whatever, you're supporting companies that are pushing this social media thing hard and they're building in deliverables to make these people turn into bigger whores. And, you know, Hey, they don't have to do it. Like I get it. Like they could walk away and they could go be plumbers. They could go do something else, but that's their job. And that's the situation they get into. And it's a creep thing. Like nobody gets in there and is like, Hey, <laughs> I want to just be a blatant freaking used car salesman. Right. But it, over time, we're going to ask more and more of you for less money or to maintain this, this style of living. And so it's, it's a muddy, it's, it's a difficult topic. And a lot of these, these, a lot of the things that are kind of behind the scenes really don't make it into the general conversation. And that's like, no matter how much I agree with some of these loud voices, I'm like, you don't really know the the scope of this problem, like how deep it really runs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't want to, I'm not trying to, you know, crap on social media. I mean, we, there's certainly a lot of positives that come from it. You know what I mean? We're reaching, we're reaching a lot of non-hunters through social media. You know, some of these, some of the biggest voices out there certainly are and, and gaining getting more people involved, which, you know, is a good thing, you know, a hundred percent. Um, 
So, you know, and it's for me, like, I always think like, you know, I don't know about you, but like, we, like before the internet, you know, and I don't know if, uh, you're from Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have like a, like a deer and Turkey show like once a year, you know? Okay. So Michigan has one, they call it the, the, the Michigan deer and Turkey spectacular or something. At least that was the old name. You know, and we'd go and it was like, everybody was so pumped to go. And they had this wall full of bucks that were killed that year. And everybody's oohing and on and everybody has their little photo album, you know, of their deer that they got this year. Like, oh man, I got this doe and I got this six point. Look at this 10 point. And, you know, the, 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 uh, the pride, you know, of, of being successful and working hard at something and, and wanting to share that. I think that's so important. Like, I think that is a very important thing. It's a very natural thing. I don't think anyone needs to feel guilty about doing that. Like, I think it, we need to do that. You know, that's happened since the, like the beginning of time, you know, sharing the hunt and sharing photos. And so, you know, it certainly gives us a, a great opportunity to do that. And that's the way I look at it. The, when I use, you know, social media, um, but yeah, they, you know, there's a lot out there that's, it's, it's not, about that it's about you know look at me and you know i'm going on 10 outfitted hunts a year and i you know whack another big one and a lot of self-promoting and and that's you know that's kind of the side that i think people are starting to take a look at and and not really love that side as much so you know i don't know i don't i don't want to dig too far into it but (laughs) you know i have my i have my opinions and you know i other people have theirs and i don't you know necessarily think mine are the right way. It's just mine. You know, I just, I just think we're going to move on here in a second. I just think it's, it's really easy to sort of fall in love with an idea around this. Like if you, if you could give me a magic wand and I could wave it in social media, it'd be gone forever. I would do that in a heartbeat, but I wouldn't do it to save hunting. I would do it because I do not think it's good for us. Like just Mm -hmm. generally, I think it's a net loss, but that's not the world we live in. Like that's nobody's handing me that one. That shit's not going to happen. So we have to operate under the world. Okay. Like what do we do now that we know this is here and this is a big part of people's business model. And you know, mm-hmm. all these companies are using this like this. How, how do we go from here knowing that it's not just going to go away and knowing that people aren't going to stop. And it's not an easy thing to fix. Uh, you know, and, and the other thing too, like that you mentioned you know, I, I kind of look at that and I go, man, I don't know if you, if you work hard and you kill a big buck and you put a photo up, I'm like, I kind of think you should be proud of that. <laughs> like, Absolutely. you know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily think we should be taking pictures of every, uh, every time we, you know, we bench 225 and we want to show off the, a couple plates on there or whatever, you know, like, I don't necessarily think we need to be doing that, but if you do something, you know, that you're proud of, I don't know, man, like we, like you said, you know, when we used to walk into the archery shop when I was 12 years old, there was all kinds of pictures tacked up there that people printed out of animals. They were, and you, you know, you weren't like, Oh, this guy's an asshole. You know, you'd be like, Oh my God, look, this dude killed a great buck. You know I mean? Like, so it, it's a different world now. And I, I don't really know where to go with it. And I, I, I love some small parts of it. Like I love the inspiration part. And like you, people can say like, that doesn't exist, but that's bullshit, man. I, I know that you, you experience this. I'm sure you do where I've had so many people where if I've like posted a buck I killed on public land or did an article on it or talked about it on a podcast, I've had people be like, I cannot believe that you did that. Like, I can't believe you went out and killed one here. Like, that's amazing to me. And I'm like, 
I don't like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like they're out there, go do it. And I'm sure you hear from people who are like, I went on my first trip and it was awesome. I killed or I didn't kill or I got close or even a turkey hunt or something. And man, I think that's such a positive. Like, I think, I, I think that there's so much good that comes out of it, inspiring people to go try this thing. That's such a, like a huge part of your life and my life. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, it's awesome. And, and I do, I get a, I get a lot of, you know, obviously for being on, you know, your podcast and Kenyans and, you know, a lot of people have come to know who I am. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a strange feeling for sure. Um, I get a lot of messages, a lot of questions and stuff and, you know, it's cool because I'm happy to help people. Um, and I might not have all the answers, but I, I'm certainly happy to, to give them a bit of time because I was that, you know, I was that person at one point that was just asking a lot of questions and being annoying and, and, and trying to, you know, trying to email John Eberhardt and trying to, um, you know, figure out these guys that were in the magazines, like Bobby Worthington, like, you know, trying to find his email so I can ask him some questions and stuff. Like, so I, I think it's important to have, you know, to, to, to do that, you know, you know, to, if you're, if you're in that position and, and like you are, and like I am at, at least, you know, to a point where, you know, guys are kind of looking at you and, and, and want to maybe learn some stuff from you. It's, I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm honored to, to, to give some of that information that I've, that I've learned and, and some of my experiences away. And, uh, and just try to do it, just try to kind of feed that in the direction that I really feel strongly that, you know, hunting should go, you know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of what I do. And if I get asked questions that are just kind of, you know, in a different whole, whole realm of hunting, like I just, I say, I can't, you know, I can't speak on that. I don't, I don't really know. So it's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird feeling, but it's cool. Um, it's, it's, it's neat to to be able to interact with people and talk about that stuff. And you feel like you're helping people and, and I'm still doing that. I'm still asking other people questions and, and trying to learn as much as I can from, from other guys that are, you know, more experienced than me. So it's a good thing. And that, that's, that's one of the positives of social media, um, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, so. just, just the new media of podcasts and everything. Um, if anybody's listening to you talk about that and you talking about reaching out to people, and they're like, I don't know if Andy really does that. I can't, I can't remember if I said this on this podcast or where I, what I was talking on. But when I killed that buck in Iowa last year, you texted me several times about that buck, asking me questions about like the setup I killed him in. And at one point I was like, I think Andy Mays thought about this buck more than I have. <laughs> like, I'm like, I think this guy's more invested in this deer. And you were, you were trying to get to the root of where it was and how, not, not where it was, but like, what, what, what? what did the kill encompass? Like how, how did that come together? And it was really interesting to me because you were asking me stuff that I like kind of really didn't even think about. I was like, you know, I went in there and I I'd found this concentration and jumped these deer and set up and he came back through it, but it got me thinking about it on a different level. And that's, that is one of the cool things about, you know, today's world. Like you can, you can really curate content around what you're interested in or what you think you might be interested in. And so often, you know, like on the topic of traveling out of state to hunt whitetails, 
there's there's so many different ways to go about that. You know, you could hire an outfitter and guide, do that ser- type of service. You could lease a place. You could tap your network. You could go hunt public land like we do. And then now you can find people not only who are out there doing that and showing you the kind of sign they're scouting and the kind of terrain features they're looking for, but you can also watch dudes like Zach Farenbaugh go out there and have a freaking blast doing it and encountering big bucks. And I think, I think that kind of like inspiration, get your ass off the couch type of thing is probably the most important part about all of this. Now, if you're sitting there at home and you're like, I've never traveled to hunt whitetails and I kind of want to like, if for no other reason, just look at how, how much fun some of these people are having going out and doing this and just go freaking do it. Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's uh, that if I would have just stayed in Michigan and just, you know, had my whole bow hunting, you know, career, if that's what you want to call it in Michigan, man, um, I certainly would have, you know, I certainly would have loved it. It's, it, it's, it's a, it's a grind here. It can be extremely frustrating, but once I started traveling, I realized like, man, there is so much more to this hunting thing. And I was, I was successful fairly early on here in Michigan. And I kind of, you know, people, people caught, started catching on that. I was killing some big bucks here in Michigan because it just doesn't happen that consistently. Um, and you know, you're young, you know, you're in your, your early twenties and and people are like, Oh man, you you killed a big buck. Like you're a good hunter and all this stuff. And, you know, I'd be down at the archery league and, you know, my pictures are up. They're putting my pictures up on the wall and stuff. It's like, yeah, you think, all right, I'm a big shot. You know, I I was young. I was stupid. I thought like, yeah, you know, nobody else that I knew of besides John really was, uh, Everhart was killing big bucks in Michigan. It's like, I felt pretty good. I felt like I was, you know, felt like I knew something. And then it's like, you start traveling out of state. You're like, holy crap, what's, what's this stuff? Like, what are these giant hills and where is the the cornfield and where's the, uh, you know, the bean fields and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, it was just, it just, it took my enjoyment of hunting and I, it just opened, uh, opened up that mindset of, holy crap, I got a lot to learn and I'm going to, I want to learn it. Yep. And now it's like, I, I take my, I take my Michigan hunting. I take it as a personal challenge every year. It's always the hardest tag for me to fill. It's always the most grind. It's always the most frustrating. It's always the hardest. Like this year I didn't have, I, I had so many cameras out and I didn't have a single buck over 120 inches. And it's like, geez, you know, like so tough, but I take it as a personal challenge every year. Like I want to be successful in Michigan, but man, truth be told, I just love that adventure of trying things new, going to new places, going to places where you don't, you don't know what you're going to get into, what type of train you're going to see and what type of situation you find yourself in. And man, yeah, I can't recommend that enough for people, uh, just to kind of keep that fire lit and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, that, that's kind of, that's become my niche, you know, a, a traveling hunter. I, I certainly try to get it done in my home state, but man, I look forward every year the most just to, to getting out of here and experiencing new things. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I like hunting in Minnesota, but I love head out on the road and yep. it just, and I, I'm, it's, it's neat. You know, you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times, to me, what's neat is I've, I've hunted so many different chunks of public land across a bunch of different States. And I try to hunt someplace new every year, just, just cause, you know, I, I love that part, but you also hit some of those 
those places or some of those regions or some of those properties where you're like, I just want to go back there and be there. Even if the hunting is going to be really tough. Like I, Western North Dakota is like that for me. I just, I can't move on from there. I just, I love camping there. I love the smell of sage. I love being around elk and antelope and mule deer while I'm hunting whitetails. And I, I just, I love the environment of the whole thing. And I just, like, I feel so lucky getting to have that and knowing like every year, you know, at least until they change the tag situation, I'm like, I can buy that whitetail tag and I can go there and be in that environment. And some years, you know, you kill a great buck, some years you don't, but it's always like a place where I just go, this is always worth my time. Like I I never have a bad trip here. Like it's always fun. And then you go to some other places and you're like, this could be the next Western North Dakota for me. Like, I don't know. Or I could go there and it's like, ah, for whatever reason, this kind of hunting didn't do it for me or there was more people than I like or something. It's like, okay, well, still wasn't a bad trip, but I'm not coming back here. I'm going to find another one. I'm going to find a new place. And I think, you know, when we talk about like traveling for whitetails, the, the message that I just like, I wish people really, really understood is there are so many opportunities out there. Like it's not and it, you know, we talk a lot about Iowa and Kansas and some of the big buck states, but it doesn't have to be that like that. The opportunities to go have a fun hunt are everywhere. Like you just, you just got to go, like you got to figure out like, what am I going to do? And I'm going to take one this year. I'm just going to go, maybe I'll go scout it in Turkey season, maybe whatever, but just go do one and see what it's all about. And you know, you know how it is. Like the people who usually try that, they don't go, it's not a one and done deal. Like you see that in the elk hunting world, <laughs> you see people who are like, Oh, I love to go elk hunting. They go one time. They're like, screw this. Like I'm done. Yeah. Whitetail, like passionate whitetail hunters. When they cross those state lines for that first time and they've got their tent and a buddy, you know, riding in the passenger seat, they're going again. Cause it's a freaking awesome experience. Oh yeah. I, I've fallen into, you know, it's what started as a, a one out of state trip, you know, quickly became two and then it was three and then, you know, next thing you know, I'm trying to get four or five in and it's like, I'm sandwiching, you know, I'm, I'm reducing the days per hunt down to two so I can fit more States. in. I mean, that's how much I enjoy it. Like I'm, I'm literally condensing the time away to two or three or four days. And, you know, obviously my, my chance of successes go way down but I value like hitting all those, those new areas so much. It's, it's worth it to me, but I actually gotta, I gotta start backtracking and going the opposite way a little bit because I've, I've been trying to do, you know, a little too much with too little time. Um, but yeah, man, uh, amen on everything you said. Like it's, it's awesome. Um, it's something I'll every year, every year, multiple trips, new areas, some of my favorite areas kind of mix it in. And uh, that's just that's just the way I do it. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via 
convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Do you find with your travel schedule, because one of the things that blew my mind when I really started hitting the public land hard and traveling three, four, five, six states a year, it just, it, there, I had so many moments where I was like, this thing I thought about whitetails or whitetail hunting wasn't true. This thing that I believed is not true. And you see this, you know, you see this with, you know, moon phase, weather conditions, hunting pressure, you know, the caliber of deer here, the quantity of deer there. You see this with so many different aspects of whitetail hunting. And when I started traveling more, I was like, well, that's BS, that's BS, that's BS. Like, I, I just realized that we we believe a lot of stuff that's just not true. And when you go hunt in a place out of state and you're like, I got four days to get this done or five days and it might not be the ideal rut time. It might be mid October, something like that. And you get out there, you realize like, man, there's, there's deer out here. They're moving, they're laying down sign. They're giving me my chance. Now I just got to put in my time and you start to have great hunts when you're not supposed to and where you're not supposed to. And you go, it's like, it's like a door opens for you. And you just realize like I can go anywhere probably and have a pretty decent hunt yeah i think i think the main thing to me that was you know and i realized this very quickly probably my first out-of-state trip you know as you hear you read in the magazines you know you hear this this expert talking about this and this is what deer do and you know blah 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 and they kind of lay it out there and what i quickly realized is like man deer are very different in different areas different states um they behave very different um you know i feel like i mean some of the 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 fundamental information out there always rings true you know bed to feed and that sort of thing rut you know whatever but like you mentioned as far as like um what they tolerate how far they move um you know during certain times of year varies so differently um you know, from state to state and even from, you know, sometimes property to property, like what they eat, you know, what they feed on, you know, you start, 
going out of state and they start eating this stuff and you'd have no idea what it is. You know, I'm just like, I don't I'm not sure what it is, but they're eating it. Um, you know, so it, it, for me, that was probably the biggest eye opening thing. Like a lot of the, a lot of what I read sounded so concrete, like this is what deer do and this is what mature bucks do and blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, and everywhere I go, it's a, it's a little different. You know, I've hunted States where I've seen deer literally walk like, you know, three quarters of a mile from bed to feed, you know what I mean? Like a long, long ways. And, you know, in Michigan, I, I can't, sometimes I can't get a deer to do, you know, 75 yards from his, you know, from his bed before dark. Um, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just, it's so different. And that's what makes it so cool. And so interesting is just, you get thrown into a new situation. Things are happening different. Like you didn't, you know, you didn't expect, you know, you all of a sudden you go out of state, you can start calling deer in or, you know, you're in a situation where you can maybe do throw up a decoy or you can, you know, do a little spot and stalk. It's just, it's just all different. Um, you're constantly learning, um, new situations, new scenarios. And I don't know, man, I just, I just eat it up. Well, that's, I talked to Casey about that. Cause he's obsessed with, uh, like hunting Kansas where you can, you know, you, you got a legitimate chance of bedding one down and crawling up on him. And we just kind of got on the topic of, you know, if you, if you live in, you know, east of the Mississippi, the odds of watching lots of deer, like, or let me say this, the odds of watching lots of mature bucks bed down and see what they do throughout the day is really low. Like you might go a decade and not see a deer bed down, let alone a mature buck. And when you get to some of these Western states or some of these more open states, you actually get to watch that deer behavior that you're only just filling in the blanks with at home because you don't get to see it. And you mm-hmm. get to see how they react. You know, he was talking about in like high wind and how they'll stand up and look mm-hmm. around sometimes. They don't go anywhere. They're just like, I'm just going to check out, make sure no coyotes or anything got too close to me. And you get to observe this buck behavior in a way that's just, it, you, you're only going to get it in certain situations. But as a hunter, watching one thing like that happen, one morning where you watch a buck just do his thing for 45 minutes or an hour, you've you've leveled up. That's in some way from that encounter so much. And it, you know, like that's, that's something like, it's so incredible that that opportunity is out there. Like if you, if you're a big woods hunter somewhere, you can go hunt one of these States. Some of them are over the counter, you know, some of them you got to apply, but you could get yourself in a situation where you could watch more mature bucks do their thing. It might be through a spot or a half a mile or a mile away, but you're still in person observing these deer do these things. That's incredible to witness. And you're not getting that at home. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. You, you bring that up. My buddy, Justin, Wright, Phenomenal hunter. Uh, maybe, you know, probably one of the best that I, that I know of, in my opinion, we were just talking yesterday and, uh, you know, we were, we were doing the sob story and whining about our home States. Um, and, uh, you know, we were talking about how a, a, a good friend of ours, you know, lives, resides in Iowa. He's a, he's a phenomenal hunter too. He kills some really good deer on public land. He's a, a true woodsman. Um, and we were talking about how he gets to experience and see so many more mature animals than we get to like at home. Like he gets to observe and learn, um, by actually observing all these older age class bucks because of where he lives. And it's like such a cool, um, uh, it's such a cool learning experience and advantage, you know, to be able to observe that so often 
where, you know, in Michigan, I, I might, I might see a mature buck once a season, you know, and just some fleeting moment, like right before I shoot him or something, you know what I mean? And it, it's, it, it is, it's, it's different in every area. Um, they all have their, you know, their different, uh, challenges. Um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting. You said that we were just talking about that yesterday, but pretty cool stuff. I mean, I think it's important and I, I equate a lot of stuff to, to bird dogs. Cause I'm so, I'm so into them and I'm, you know, I love training them and I'm, I'm buddies with some of the freaking best trainers in the world. Like I, I work with Tom Dockin all the time and that dude can like see into the future with dogs. It's incredible. And one of the things that you see with bird dogs is a lot of times, you know, <laughs> let's say you live in South Dakota. You're like, well, okay, I'm gonna get a pheasant dog. I'm going to go buy a GSP or a lab or whatever, whatever your flavor is. And you know, you train it and it's going to hunt pheasants and that dog can be great at that. But if you get a dog that's pretty versatile and you hunt those pheasants, but you're like, you know what, I'm going to skip down South and I'm going to hunt quail. And then I'm going to go out and I'm going to move a little farther West. I'm going to hunt those Sharpies and I'm going to hunt some prairie chickens. And maybe we're going to spend some time in a duck blind. When you have a dog that does that stuff, especially when you, when you're working with them, when they're young, and they get exposed to those new environments and those public land birds in different places. And you see that confidence level. So, you know, going from wild roosters to a covey of quail is a different freaking thing, but there's a lot of similar elements, you know, like, especially from the dog's perspective and you just see them. And it's like a little, it's like a little mirror to what we can do for ourselves where it's like, these dogs, you know, you, you drop them off in a new environment. They don't know what they're doing right away. Like you see them learning. Like they're figuring mm-hmm. shit out and you get those first contacts and they go, okay, I, I'm starting to, I'm starting to see what's going on here. And they, you watch it like almost in real time on those trips level up. And like, we don't think about ourselves that way, but when you get time to go travel to a couple different States or you take one state a year and maybe it's an elk hunt, maybe it's an antelope hunt, you know, maybe it's a whitetail, whatever you're putting yourself in new environments where you, you just you got to work with what's between your ears and you're mm. going to get better. Even if you go and you fail, which you probably will the first time, like you're probably not going to succeed and, and fill that tag. You might, but what you're going to do is become better. And when you go mm-hmm. back, like, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of times when we, my buddies and I will go to a new state, we'll go and, you know, usually somebody will kill, right? Like you'll, somebody will kill something, but it's like the second year you go, if you go back, then it's freaking on. And it doesn't happen mm. the way you thought it would a lot of times, but it happens. And mm-hmm. it's just like, you just got that experience layer leveled in there and you go, okay, now, now it's on. And I, I just love that we have, we have the chance to do that for ourselves. Even if, you know, like if you're sitting at home and you're like, well, I can't go to five States. Like, yeah, most people can't, but if you could do one and you probably can, like, man, if you really love to hunt, you should probably give it a shot and just see if that's your thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, nothing will, nothing will, uh, make you question what, what you really know about hunting and just getting thrown into a whole new world of whitetails that you're not experienced with. I mean, look, look what Kenyon got to do this year, you know, with it, that, uh, that cool project he did where he got to go to all these places, um, with all these really good experienced hunters in, in those pa- places and he got to experience and learn from them and then got to, to, to do it himself. I mean, what an awesome trip. And I know he was stressed out about that and he was a little worried, you know, about some things. And I was like, man, listen, don't worry about if you kill anything, like you have, 
such a unique opportunity, like something I would give anything to do, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you don't kill anything, yep. like you're going to get that experience. You're going to learn from an expert in that area or, or someone that's very, very good in that area. And you're going to learn so much. That's going to make you a better hunter. You're going to be able to bring that home to Michigan and, and apply some of that knowledge. You're going to, you're going to have confidence to go to any one of those places now. And like you said, you know, now it's your second year. Now you're building on that. Now you're going to start getting some kills and some opportunities and stuff. It's like, and that, that's what it's all about. So I don't know. It was just, it's just a really neat idea for, uh, for, a, for a show. And I don't know, I'm super pumped to see that, to be honest with you, but yeah, man, just throw, throwing yourself into all those new situations, um, you know, and, and just, just building on it, you know, and just, and just keep improving. Um, you know, I'd, I'd really like to, I'd really like to see, and I know there's a lot of guys out there that that's, that's important to them is just to, to be actually be a good hunter and to be, um, you know, to be, to increase and build on that skill set so that they can go to different places and, and have some encounters and say some success. I mean, there's tons of guys, even on social media, YouTube, I mean, they're, they're traveling. The out of state thing is as big as it's ever been. So that's a good thing. You know what I mean? I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. It, it might be a little more crowded for us and, you know, maybe the quality of bucks goes down with the increased pressure, but whatever, you know what I mean? I, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, you always got to adapt and overcome and, and find new areas. And, you know, if, if more guys are out there getting after it and, and, becoming better hunters and you know you got to level up yourself you know what i mean you got to rise above that to to keep to keep getting it done so just you know if you're if if anyone can take anything from this you know episode is just you know try to keep that mindset i think you know keep that mindset of actually trying to improve and trying to to become a better hunter and to to keep that idea of becoming a better woodsman alive you know that's something that i think is so so important i don't want to lose that and i don't want to quit i don't want to quit talking about the guys that came before us that did that um you know those are the you know the true legends of hunting and and those are the guys that kind of paved that that way and uh i don't know i i i, I certainly hope that i'm 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 improving to the point where you know i will feel that I'm, you know, well, I'll, I'll feel like I'm, uh, a good woodsman. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, down, you know, when I'm, when it's all said and done, I want to have that feeling like that I became the best hunter that I could be. And I didn't just try to be successful. I didn't try to buy it. I didn't try to get it through technology. I didn't try to get it by securing a bunch of land. Um, that's important to me. Um, and I know everything, everything, hunting could be completely different of why they hunt and what makes them happy for every guy. And I'm not trying to steer everybody down this path. Absolutely not. But I hope this, this idea of, uh, of keeping the woodsmanship alive, you know, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that lasts, you know what I mean? I, I, I really do. I think that's an important, I think this was a good conversation to have. I, I do too, man. <clears throat> we got to wrap this up here in just a second, but I want to ask you something. So we, we filmed this one week in November series that's up on YouTube now. And I think it was the fifth day I had a, I had a wild day. So I had a, like 150 inch of running in the morning 
He went by me at 15 yards. I couldn't shoot because my cameraman wasn't ready. Watered at 20 yards. I had this buck within 34 yards of me for seven and a half minutes. On the, on the video, it's only like a 20-second encounter or something, but it was a long encounter, right? And mm-hmm. I drew on that buck four times. He got, he made every decision that buck made was perfect. Like he just, instead of just <clears throat> walking down the easy trail, he cut into the brush at one point and he just took an extra five yards on his row and finally got downwind of us. But that deer was like, he just, he made every freaking choice correctly. So I lost that deer and super bummed that afternoon, had a nice buck come in chasing does, just flat out missed him, rushed my shot. And so I had that happen. And then as it got dark, we ran out of camera light and like 175 inch deer came out. And this is, wow. this is, and I say that specifically because I'm looking at this buck from like 70 yards away through my binoculars. And my first impression is 170 to 180. And then my buddy saw him later. And it, so I was like, I think that deer is like 175 inches. He's a monster. And my buddy said, his first impression when he saw him in person, he's like, I don't know, 175 inches popped into my head. So that's what we're going with. But that deer chased a doe into bow range. It was still legal shooting light, but no camera light left. And I had watching that show. I watched it with my daughters when it would come out every Tuesday and just watching that show. I just had like, it brought back this feeling that day, even though I had an amazing day encounter wise, I felt like I just did not know what I was doing. Like, like I was just like, I can't get this right. And you know how it hurts. Like it hurts when you blank, but it really hurts when you're like right there, (laughs) they're right there and they get away. And then to have three bucks do that in one day, I felt like I should not have been hunting. Like I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. When was the last time where you just had a moment where you're out there and you're like, do I even know what the hell I'm doing? Like, when was the last time you wanted to throw that bow away and pick up golf clubs? Let me ask you that. <laughs> um, all last year, ironically, all last year, I felt like I was floundering. The crazy thing is I killed four bucks this year. I killed four bucks last year. This year, I felt dialed in. I, I felt dialed in. I was super confident. Um, had the same success both years. Last year, I could not get anything going. I never scouted so hard and searched so far, four different counties for a shooter in Michigan. I could not turn anything up. Um, I just felt, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I was talking to my buddy, Justin Wright about it. I was like, I have never had a season where I felt more unconfident and like, I didn't know what I was doing than right now. But you know what? I had four days, four days where things went right. And I made the shot and got an animal down this year. It's like, I was really dialed in with things. You know, I was reading sign. I was getting on a buck, shot him. You know what I mean? Then I go out of, go out of state. I have a game plan, you know, get up high glass, glass on a high knob, look for a shooter. Boom. Got one, made a stock, shot him. You know what I mean? Things were like clicking and the confidence was at an all time high. So yeah, man. Uh, it happens to me all the time. Like my confidence <laughs> level is up and down and up and down. But what I've learned is just like, man, I don't know it all. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not a deer hunting expert. You know what I mean? I'm a guy that loves it. I'm a guy that, um, has spent a lot of time. I dedicated a huge portion of my life to hunting. Um, and always with that mindset to learn as much as I can and to keep improving 
And uh, I've learned that, you know, I my seasons are going to go like this. My mental <laughs> toughness and confidence is going to go like this. I'm going to get thrown in some situations where I'm just going to be like, you know, like, are there even any deer around? Like, I can't get on anything. And then, you know what? You just you just keep at it. You keep following your instinct. You keep making those decisions that you've, you know, those instinctual decisions that you've developed over the years through all this experience. And then all of a sudden, things start to happen. You start to get in them. Or you make that right stand choice. And boom, here he comes. And, you know, it, it happens to me all the time. So, I, 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 I mean, people might have an impression that I'm like, hundred percent confident and hundred percent dialed in on each and every hunt. Well, it, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it happens to me all the time. So, but I've learned to ride the wave. I've learned to trust my instinct and trust my decisions. And there's going to be hunts and seasons and situations where I just make the wrong call and I can't get anything going, but you kind of have to weed through that sometimes to get to those good moments where yep. the instincts take instincts take over and you get it done. Well, that's, that's sort of a dirty little secret about why, you know, heading out of state to hunt whitetails is, is, can be so beneficial is you feel really guilty if you're not getting after it. You know, if you're at home and you're kind of in a slump and you're like, "Ah, I'm not going to go sit tonight. I don't think it's, it's easy to talk yourself out of it for a lot of people. You know, if you've bought that over the counter or, you know, you bought that non-resident license and you've taken that time off of work and you've bought all the food to go camping and blah, 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 and driven out there you got a lot invested in that. You've told everybody you're going like you, you don't want to come home empty handed. And it kind of teaches you like this stuff is streaky, man. Like you, you have times where it's like you are on it and you have times where you just suck. And there's like, you just gotta, the only way out is through and on a trip, like you're just going to keep going. Cause you don't have a choice. Like you're, you, you do have a choice, but you're not going to give yourself that choice. You're like, I'm, I'm just going to keep hunting. Like, you know, a prime example would be like, you know, if you, you, and I know you've done this, but if you go on a spot and stock hunt, like, let's say you're going to go spot and stock antelope, like, man, you want to feel like you shouldn't be carrying a bow around, go try to call up on some, and or crawl up on some antelope out there. Cause you'll get your ass kicked most of the time, but they live out in the wide open. They let you see them all day long. And it's like, well, I'll just keep, I'll, I'll find the next one and I'll find the next one. And then once in a while you get that buck that beds down or that, that one that just, just puts himself in a position where you're like, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh my God, I'm 43 yards away. He's clueless. And you got into the guard after just getting smoked for 10 stocks in a row. And you just realize like, okay, like this was just a numbers game. (laughs) Like I just had to stick through it, but it's, it's hard. And I think. I think that's one of the things in the hunting industry we haven't done a very good job of because it's not as sexy as killing a big one. It's just talking about how often it really sucks and it's really not going your way because it happens. I mean, I've had streaks. I've talked about this before, like in, in the big woods up in Northern Wisconsin where I'm trying to kill a doe and I haven't seen a deer in three weeks. You know, I'm not yeah. hunting 21 days in a row, but you know, I'm putting in days every week and I'm like, I can't even see one, let alone shoot one. And I'm talking any antlerless deer, let alone 140 inch bucks. And then every once in a while it breaks loose. If you stick with it, or you get into that situation where your mojo changes and you're like, I'm going to try this new spot. And the sign is there and you, you set up and now you observe something and you're like, Oh, they're crossing down there. They're, they're following this soft edge. Now you get into something and you're, you're back in it just by sticking with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess I, I have a, I have a bit of a reputation of going on these short hunts, right? Because of my, my job and I don't have vacation time and getting it done in a, a short period. And, you know, I've done that. I've done that a lot, but I am not so naive to think that I can go anywhere and do that. Um, there are places, um, like you mentioned, um, there's places, um, in the South, there's places, Northern Wisconsin, uh, Southern Ohio. There's, there's tons of places where I know that I would not be able to go in two to four days and get it done consistently. Um, just the deer density, the, the, the difficulty of the terrain, the, the, the ability or the, the, the lack of defined, um, destination food sources and bedding and travel routes and all that kind of stuff. You know, those types of places require more time. You know what I mean? They're harder places. They require more time. That's a place that, you know, I, anyone could go and kill one on the first day, but in reality, like, um, some of my friends go, you know, to some of these spots and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a seven to 12 day, uh, trip, you know, it, it, that might be over. If you can't do that all in one, it might be, you know, over a span of two or three years, but like, you know, so it, a lot of guys might get down on themselves, you know, about going on these, uh, like I, I a couple of my friends, you know, guys that are acquaintances, they'll, they'll message you like, I don't know how you you're successful on every out of state hunt you go on which isn't true, but they say that and they're like, man, I've been on, you know, 10 and I haven't killed anything. I was like, well, you know, look where you're going. You know what I mean? You're going to spots that are hard. You're, you're becoming a better hunter. You're going to these areas that are, that are, you know, more difficult. Um, and you know, you, you don't have the, also all the experience and the time that I put in yet, like it'll come, you know, it'll come, but you're starting off on some really challenging stuff. And that's going to benefit you. You know, you just got to, you got to be patient. You got to put in the time. There's a bigger learning curve in some of these areas. So, you know, a lot of guys need to keep that in mind too. Um, you know, the Midwest, um, sometimes can have a way of, you know, making guys look a little more skilled than they really are. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not taken away from any Midwest guy. I'm a Midwest guy and I travel a lot to the Midwest, but it's, you know, there's more deer. There's more good bucks. There's more great bucks. Um, and, uh, usually the terrain is a, a little bit easier to manage. So, you know, those are all considerations, all things to, to, to think about, you know, when you're evaluating yourself and evaluating what you've done and, you know, it's, we all fall into that. We all fall into that trap of like comparing ourselves to other hunters and we all know we shouldn't do it, but we all do it. Um, you know, but that, that's all, those are all things to consider. You know what I mean? Just look at it more like there's a guy doing this, you know, and, and, and what can I learn from this guy? You know, he's got a completely different situation. You know, I think about those guys like from seek one, you know, that are killing those giant suburban deer. Like, man, I don't have a situation like that, but you get listen to those guys talk. Like these guys are smart. Like these guys are, these guys are very, they're the best at what they do, obviously. And, uh, you know, they, they throw out little nuggets when they're talking about it, like, man, that was smart. Yep. That's, that's true. Like, he talks about, uh, you know, Lee and drew, they talk about some of the same stuff I see like here in Michigan, like mature deer behavior. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's, it's, uh, you know, there's little pieces to pull from every hunter, every situation. 
you talk about your uh, Iowa book when I was asking you all those questions. I do that with everybody. Like I want, I need to hear the story because there's something I can learn from it. I love that. I love to hear what you were thinking. I love to hear about the terrain. Like, what was he doing? Like, you know, was he, was he, was he just cruising? Was it, you know, what time of year was it? What time of day was it? What was the wind doing? Like, I want to, I want to decipher through all this info because I'm, you know, I'm selfishly trying to learn from it. Like, it's a cool experience that you just had. You were successful. I want to take, pull something that I can, you know, put in my, uh, you know, maybe, maybe pull into my skill set and, uh, and apply down the road. Like I'll, you know, I'll shoot, you know, have some success you know, you, you do your normal thing. You send out your text message to all your buddies. There's like a handful of guys that, that ask me the story. Like, what, what, why'd you do that? Why'd you sit there? Like, what was it? And those are the guys that have that same mindset, you know, like a lot of my friends just was like, congrats. You know what I mean? But they're missing such a huge opportunity to, to learn something. So I try not to ever, you know, let that opportunity, you know, go when, when, when you know of a, of a hunter, a good hunter, a bad hunter, it doesn't matter. Just any hunter, you know, if you can get that story and really listen to it and ask some questions, you, you might even, like you said, you know, you started thinking about some things just by me asking the questions, but that's, that's just the way my brain works. I use that as a, you know, take me to school, Tony, like take me to school. Tell me about that hunt. Like I need to know, I want to know. Well, so. I, I love that stuff. And it, so that book, I, I'll just like, I know I said I was going to end this, but we got to talk about this quick. That book, I, I went in there because I, I thought I had a really good pinch point, even though it was mid-October. I was just like, I knew there were bucks in the area, you know, I, and I, I was like, I think this is going to be good. I ended up jumping that deer and he ran down the, the bank of this river, basically between where the river is and the bluff is down this chute. And the way the wind was and everything, I'm like, I don't know. I think, I think he's going to turn around and come back. Like it was a, it was a chance sort of fell into my lap thing that I set up for. And it just worked. He came back and I shot him. I went back there this spring. I walked the whole freaking place out. Cause I, I got to thinking about it, you know, like after talking to you and just like, I'm like, I don't really know what was going on there. Like, I know what I thought was going on there. And I walked in there and I killed a deer and it was awesome. But I'm like, I don't know what he ran to. I don't know what's down the road. Like, you know, I didn't go down there because when he walked past me, I shot him and he went back the way I came in. So I went and walked that out turkey hunting just because I'm like, I just want to see it. Like, I want to see the tree and I want to see what what I was missing. Like, why why was that buck there? Like, what's the total picture? And it was so different than I thought. Like, I had filled in the blanks and just like, okay, you know, like, I'm, I must be pretty damn good. I walked in here and did this. And then I saw what it really was, like, the whole place was. And I was like, I wasn't even close to the good spots. Like, I got lucky. I jumped that buck. But I found some real pinch points. And I found some, like, a couple of benchy bedding area type of situations there where I was like, I thought I had a picture of this spot. And I sure could have sold it as that. But when I went in there and really figured it out, I was like, I, I knew like 5% about this, this little area and seeing it in the spring, I was like this, it was just an eye opener to be like, oh, this is actually what was happening there. And I I've done that. I killed a buck in Wisconsin, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago in a, in a night where I, the first deer I saw was like a 160. It was, it was a monster. I didn't kill him. You know, he came in, made a rub. I killed a smaller buck that came through later. And the next day I was like, I got to see where he came from. Like I took my dog in there. I went, I went freaking grouse hunting. I just looked around and it was just like, 
so beneficial to me. In fact, I've been back there about six times and, and really kind of like winter scouted and everything. But so much of this stuff, when you just go show up someplace and you're like, I got this pin down, I'm going to go walk into this area. You, you get like a little bit of a picture, but when you really start expanding that through scouting and spending some more time, it just like helps you like piece together. Why was that buck there? Like, what was he doing? Or like, why do people park here and walk in there when I, I want to go hunt this Creek bottom here? And it just, the more stuff you do like that and the more time you spend out there. And I know you do that because you're a scouting fiend. It just, I feel like it makes it, it makes me enjoy the process so much more. Yeah. Well, that's a testament of, uh, the type of hunter you are and the mentality you have, you know what I mean? That, that, that urge to learn about what happened. Like that's, that's always, I do the same exact thing with every single kill encounter, whatever. I always go back and investigate either, you know, if it's a successful hunt, I'll do it right after. Um, but you know, after the season, I'll go back and really try to figure out what was going on there. Why, you know, why a deer was coming from this way or where was he coming from or where's he going to same thing, but it's that constant urge to, to just keep gaining more information and learning. Like, it's just, I don't know, man, my, my brain is always like thinking about that stuff. I like have to shut it off. Um, you know, I, sometimes I have to shut it off. Like I'll be at home and I'm just thinking about you know, the stuff and I'm thinking about it and I bring my phone up, you know, we're supposed to be watching a movie and I'm bringing up maps and I'm like looking down like this and I'm like, you know, Lisa will be like, Andy, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah you're right. You know, I got, I got to shut it off. Like it's, it's constantly going there. Just take in more information, more experiences, more, you know, more info. So, you know, I don't know. It's just the way my, my brain works. It sounds like it's kind of the way your brain works. You have some other hobbies, which is good. I, 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 probably need some other ones um you know it's it's you know whitetails or bow hunting in general just kind of takes front and center um you know and the only thing that i've really been able to you know put in front of that and keep in front of it obviously is is just the family stuff yep. you know what i mean it's a, it's a far it's a far second place behind that but everything else it's just like i, I don't seem to have the, the the passion for it anymore but um yeah i don't know man Fun conversation though. It it is dude. And I, I really think I, I I'm pretty squirrely too, man, but I I've started to realize, you know, I've, I've been like obsessive about different stuff, right? Like I've been obsessive about deer hunting. I've been obsessive about bass fishing, the dog thing, lots of stuff. Like I can, I can go to a negative place with it by, by getting into it too much. And what I started realizing is like, I just got to find the stuff that is going to make me happy and I'm going to enjoy doing it and not, not go that overboard. And I started getting better at all of it. And so like, we just, we just, I, I love fishing in the ocean. You know, I live in Minnesota, so I get to do it like five, six, seven days a year. I love taking my little girls down there and I'm, I'm terrible at it. Like I'm fishing with, you know, like live shrimp. Like I don't care what bites, like, you know, I try to like learn some stuff, but you know, I, I'm very, very rookie with that stuff. But even when I'm doing that, I still feel like there's parallels to whitetail hunting. Or when I go pheasant hunting, I, I this is going to sound so stupid, but I, I, I killed some roosters, uh, you know, in December where I ran into them. My dog flushed them up. And I was like, in my head, my first thought was, I feel like I just found a rooster staging area. Because I was like looking at the terrain. I'm like, they're not where I thought they were going to be. They're definitely not in the food source. 
it feels like they were kind of just loafing here in this area. And so much of this stuff, when you just get outdoors and you're, you know, whether it's just an addiction to scouting or whether you love small game hunting or something else, it all feeds the whitetail thing. Like it, we've sold this message that it's kind of guerrilla warfare against the whitetails and you got to scout nonstop. And like, you can do that. People are successful, but if you need a little more motivation to be out there, like if you wouldn't go, you know, spend as much time out there in December as you need to, or you probably should, but the roosters are out there and you can go learn something about whitetails while you're having fun doing something else or spring turkey hunting and looking at some new ground. However you do it, like you're, you're going to level up if you spend more time out there. If you're paying attention to what's going on, you know, nature, there's, there's so many like parallels in nature, you know, like we don't think about a pheasant and a deer being the same thing, but their motivations in life are the same thing. They don't want to get eaten. They want to eat something every day. You know, at one point of the year, they want to have sex for like two weeks and then they're going to move on and then they're going to just try to survive. And I just think, I I think we have really cool chances to be, to, to really enjoy ourselves while we're getting better at this stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. To your point too, it's like all those other things that you do, you know, hunting wise for different, you know, different types of critters and stuff. I mean, they all require different little, you know, skill sets, right? And they they all can translate back into whitetail hunting and, and and improve in some way. Whether it's like, like you said, antelope. You're you know you're sneaking up, you're trying to stalk antelope, and it's like it's one of the hardest critters to stalk up on, you know. And then you get a whitetail in a situation where you need to you know try to do it, or a mule deer or something. It seems like child's play. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, not, not saying child's play, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like it's, it's, it's easier than antelope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or try to, you know, try to sneak up on a Turkey. You know what I mean? You're trying to spot and stalk a Turkey, like super difficult. Right. But if you can get that done and you're working on your, your, your sneaking skills and I don't really know, uh, I'm not much of a pheasant hunter, so I can't speak on that, but I'm sure there's things that you've, you know, that you've learned there that have helped you be a little better in the whitetail woods. So yeah. And it, it all goes hand in hand. The more you can be out there for sure. You're learning, you're developing, you know, woodsmanship and, and, you know, ways to, to, to sneak around and to navigate, and to be more effective. And it's just that, that mindset, that killer mindset, you know? So yeah, it's all interesting stuff. I love it, buddy. Let's wrap this up. Andy, uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, man. I really appreciate you coming on, buddy. Hey, anytime, buddy. I, uh, I enjoy talking with you. So Whenever you want, just let me know. Awesome. Thanks, man. Okay. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for some more whitetail goodness. This has been Wired to Hunt, and I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, be sure to check out themeateater.com slash wired to see a pile of new articles each week. Head on over to our YouTube channel to check out our how-to stuff or go to the Meat Eater YouTube channel and you can check out our One Week in November series, which we dropped last November, December. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.